Please be seated. Very good uh, morning, afternoon. Yesterday was afternoon, today is morning. (laughs) We will be afternoon soon, but uh, nonetheless, I'm glad that you're here, gathered with us this morning, coming for service. Especially welcome those who may be visitors in our midst. Uh, Thank you for coming. Um, There will be people looking out for you, trying to get uh, your contact and get to know you in case you you want to find out more about the church. We we, we love to um, find an opportunity to have a conversation with you. Uh, One of the ways that can happen is there's always refreshments now after the service. We resume now that the regulations allow it. And um, please feel free to stay behind and chat with us and give us an opportunity to get to know you. For those who've been in the church for a while, you would know that this year's theme has been to trust and obey. But trust and obey what? (laughs) I think ultimately we know obey the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. What we had uh, earlier used as a summary of the law. That's the the, the, um, um, what God desires of us, what he calls us to. In fulfilling that, we fulfil the entire law. And, you know, obedience to that is really the heart of how we then fulfill the Great Commission. What God has called us to do in reaching a world that is in desperate need of His love. That He loves uh, to um, the extent that He sent His Son Jesus. All of us who are Christians have experienced that love and we know that love, but we're never meant to, you know, it's not meant to terminate with us. We have been loved, we have been blessed, so that we can love and we can bless in return. Right? That's the, the way it has been set up. And as, of course, you know, over a week ago, we dedicated this building. And, you know, just as a reminder to you, the primary purpose, I believe, God has given us the ability, the resources, the, the, the desire to build this new uh, building is because God's calling us to this neighborhood that's springing up around us. The call to reach Queenstown. And I've drawn my sermon title really from this passage, verse 2, and actually the CEB, which is the Common English Bible, not a version we normally use, but it's interesting because he says, where we normally say the harvest is plentiful, sometimes it passes us by because you know familiarity can breed at least disinterest, if not contempt. The harvest is bigger than you can imagine. And, you know, I remember when I first came and I was talking to our vicar and we were talking about this entire building project, he said that they did their um, homework and they found that by, I think, either this year or next year, obviously with COVID there's been some delay, uh, that within uh, a 10-minute walking radius of Church of the Good Shepherd, we have 90,000 people living. 90,000! Talk about a harvest field. And if we were to extrapolate our national census numbers, where 18.8%, almost 19%, are already Christian, I, I give some allowance because Queenstown, you know, so many churches must be maybe more Christians. So 20%, I say, <laughs> of the population are Christian. That means there are 72,000 people who live within the 10-minute walking radius who have yet to know Jesus Christ who have yet to encounter Him as their Savior and as their Lord. You know, yes, Queenstown's blessed. Within a 10-minute walking radius, we have uh, five 
amazing churches, not include not just ours, but you know, Church of Our Savior. We have um, um, Queenstown Baptist. We have True Way Presbyterian. We have Grace Assembly of God. Uh, also, fishermen of Christ. You know, and and we are grateful for that fact. And you know, sometimes you may think, oh, Queenstown is overchurched. The other day, a pastor came to see me. And um, they're an independent church. They currently meet elsewhere in Singapore. And they were thinking of adopt, uh, moving because they wanted to plant themselves where they are currently. There isn't really a, a catchment or a neighborhood. But the Lord had been speaking to his heart, you know, that needs to plant somewhere. And because a couple of his members are really uh, planted here and have a passion for Queenstown, he was thinking maybe we may consider it. I mean, his members are encouraging it. But he's worried, you know, so he came, he's talking to different pastors. So he said, you know, is there a place for another church in Queenstown? I said, yes, of course. Right, 72,000 people. <laughs> Think about it, even if a church of our city doubles their 4,000 to another 4,000. And likewise with Grace Assembly, we are hardly making a dent in the number of uh, uh, unsaved people who are in our neighborhood, not to mention those across the city of Singapore. And, you know, so I'm, as you can tell, very passionate about the mission God has called us to. And that's why looking at this passage is so powerful because, you know, do you realize that this was prior to him giving the Great Commission? It's in the time in which he was uh, really training his disciples. It's still training phase. This was their seminary education, okay? And it's not just the 12 who were being trained. We see here that the other 72 that were uh, surrounding uh, the, the core group of 12 were also being trained. And Jesus called them and he sent them out. This was their OJT. Or in terms of seminary education, this was their field education. right? Their internship, they're being placed and sent out to do the work. So let's pick it up from verse 2. And we begin to see uh, the foundation of the mission that God calls us to. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray earnestly, you know, in the original Greek, really it's saying like, plead, you know, unceasingly beg, literally beg, the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Because, Really, that's what we need. We need more uh, workers for this harvest. More workers. And it says it begins on our needs. It begins in prayer. Because ultimately, it's the Lord who will raise up the harvest force. It is God who calls us forward into it. And of course, you know, as was the case in Matthew's Gospel when this uh, same injunction is, is, is uh, uh, given by Jesus uh, that almost immediately you see that the answer to the prayer is those who are praying it. <laughs> you know, prayer is really more for us than it is for God. It is to prepare our hearts. It's to incline our hearts towards the Lord's will and His plans for us to really be attentive and to be listening to what God is saying. So that we can align ourselves to His will. And that's where prayer really uh, uh, makes its biggest difference, is in our hearts. You know, God is not reluctant to hear our prayers. He's not reluctant to answer them. A lot of the things that He prayed, the problem is that oftentimes we are so out of alignment with Him. 
that he wants to get his people into alignment. And that's why I believe that it begins in prayer. This coming uh, Friday is our... <laughs> this is my advertisement. Huh? This coming Friday <laughs> is our, our corporate prayer meeting. It's our uh, church prayer meeting. And I know only a handful of people come, but I really long to see more people coming in prayer. Because if we are serious about this mission, it begins in prayer. Now, I'm not going to be there. I promise you, it's not because I just choose to pontang. <laughs> I will be praying for you and with you in Hanoi. Uh, I head to Hanoi this Thursday with the bishop. It, he, it's his first Episcopal vis- visit to Vietnam. Um, again, another aside. Do pray for us. Because especially on Friday, we uh, have made an appointment to meet up with the Government Committee on Religious Affairs, the, the official um, um, department that oversees all religious affairs for Vietnam to pay a courtesy visit. The last two bishops have done that, and so it's important that our bishop does, but also to open the door, hopefully, for uh, eventual uh, denominational registration in Vietnam for the Anglican Church. So pray for us on Friday morning especially. So the foundation of our mission, the start of our mission is on our knees. We launch forth our mission on our knees in prayer. But why is it so important? Because he goes on, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Our foundation is prayer, but the mission we are called to is dangerous. That it's not an uncontested uh, um, mission that we are called to. That it is contested ground. Paul, in his letter to Timothy, the second uh, letter to Timothy, his last words literally to his uh, son in the Lord was, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or I like um, this version in the message even better. Anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. That... Uh, um, you know, when Christ bids a man come and die, he bid, uh, when Christ bids a man come, he bids a man come and die. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the call to discipleship is. You know, it's the willingness to lay down your life for the Lord. That we are, you know, headed in a sense for difficult times if we want to live all out for God. If we want to give ourselves fully to Him. I think that's why in verse 1, you know, he, when he sent them out, he didn't send them out alone. He sent them out two by two. Because we need one another in this dangerous mission to get it done. Do it as a community. But then there is an urgency to this mission. Verse 4 carries on. He says to them, Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. You know, he's saying, don't uh, carry extra baggage. Travel light. Make sure that you uh, move um, swiftly because the, the, the work is so urgent, there's no time to delay. And in case you might get delayed along the road, don't talk to anyone or so. It's not saying be antisocial, but you know how it's easy to get sidetracked. You end up in, 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 in conversation with people along the way. Instead of getting to the destination, you get uh, uh, caught up in other things which are not part of what God has called us to. And so there is this sense in which the mission to which God calls us is urgent. But then from verses 5 to 9, we sort of uh, are given a template of how to go about the mission. What's the method to our mission? 
he goes on in verse 5, Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near you. I could go on about this. I know um, um, Pastor Ed Silvoso has you know, a whole strategy based around this. But I, I want to get to the heart of what he's saying, I believe. Jesus was pointing out to them that our mission, above all, is about the people that we are trying to see. That we are called to build relationships with them. That, you know, sometimes as Christians, we can get so focused on the task that we forget the person that God has called us to. I, yesterday I was sort of tongue-in-cheek saying this and I was aware that there were some in our midst who work in the insurance industry and I used that as an example and I'm not meaning to uh, slime anyone but you know how it is. Sometimes you come out of the MRT station and then, bada, there's a road show. <laughs> you know, and they try and waylay you and they try and talk to you and they want you. Maybe they give you a balloon and then after that take it back when they realize you're not the right person. <laughs> but... Um, Oftentimes, we don't like that sort of feeling. Now, I've got nothing against insurance agents. I've bought insurance, you know, to cover my family. I have good friends who are insurance members of the church who are insurance agents, you know. And I, uh, um, I, I don't avoid them. But the ones I want to spend time with are those who are really interested in me, interested in my needs. They listen to what I need. They understand where, you know, our family is, what I need to provide for just in case, the rainy day sort of thing. And then what they sell me or what they provide for me meets what I need. You know, they don't try and upsell me. They don't try and uh, um, make their commission greater. <laughs> yeah, they're there to serve me. And I, you know, use that as an illustration to talk about how sometimes as Christians in the work of evangelism, in the work of sharing the gospel, we can be so focused on the task so desirous of, you know, putting the one in the plus column <laughs> that we forget the person. And this is what Jesus, I believe, is saying. Stay in that house. Eat and drink what they provide. Spend time with them. Fellowship with them. Get to know them. Don't treat them as a digit or a project. Love them. No matter what their response may be at the end of the day. And the Lord will open doors, I promise you. You know, to be able to pray, to heal the sick, is because ultimately when you spend time with them, you will discover. It doesn't matter. I've found in my years of ministry, I'm coming up on three decades of ministry very soon. And people, no matter where they come from, no matter what their background, whether they are rich or poor, whether they are educated or uneducated, whether they have a, a different um, um, uh, cultural background from myself, I found there is a common human denominator is that everybody is in need. At some point, as you have built that relationship and they begin to trust you, they will open up their heart to you. And they will share with you whether it be a family need, a relational need, problems in the workplace, health, 
you know, it becomes then a tremendous opportunity, firstly, to meet the felt needs through prayer, through practical means, but then after that, it opens the door for you to share with them their real need. That is a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the answer to all our needs in that sense. And so, you know, when we begin to exercise this method, Jesus then begins, uh, tells and warns that it's not going to be easy. You are in for a heap of trouble, right? He says in verse 10, he goes on, Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then he goes on to warn about Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, comparing it to the heathen cities of Tyre and Sidon, how these uh, cities, you know, which were in the heart of where Jesus had been um, uh, ministering, had seen signs and wonders, had heard the gospel, you know, and still rejected it. He, he warns that this is a reality. And then he finally says in verse 16, the one who hears you, hears me. The one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. And he's, you know, a couple of things you need to recognize from that. First and foremost, in verse 16, it's not personal. When people reject you, when you share the gospel with them, it's because they are rejecting God. You know, that there is something in their life in which they really want nothing to do with God. So don't take it personally. <laughs> you know, don't, don't take it to heart in that sense. That it is the gospel itself that can be an offense. Now, I was warning uh, the young people yesterday, that make sure it is the gospel that offends them and not you. <laughs> I was in a conversation with my son and we were talking about his experience in school and he was sharing with me that sometimes Christians can be the worst advertisement for Christ. <laughs> He has a couple of friends, one who's of another religion and then a friend who's a Christian. And this Christian friend, in his enthusiasm, one day said, Hey, you know, uh, your religion is all wrong, you know. You're going to hell. You better come to my church. And that guy got so upset and angry with him for obvious reasons, you know. It's because the Christian is the offense rather than the gospel. <laughs> and so we need to be careful. That's not what happens. But, you know, when we are... Uh, gent with gentleness and respect, we share our faith and we do it in, in a, a meaningful way, in an, um, a gentle way. You know, if people take offense, recognize it's not you they're rejecting. But, you know, what Jesus also said is this, that judgment is a reality. That this is not a drill, this is not an exercise. Now, I was asking the young people yesterday, I don't know, you heard the term no duff. <laughs> Some of us older who've gone through military service, we know we say it's a no duff uh, message. I remember once I was on exercise in Australia and I was um, overseeing a, a, a company of armored vehicles. One of the vehicles knocked into a tree and a dead fall fell onto one of the soldiers who had taken his helmet off, which he should not have done, but it hit him right in the head and knocked him unconscious, you know, we knew immediately there was an issue. So I drove the, or I didn't drive, my driver drove the Land Rover right up to the, and we unloaded him off the, the vehicle, put him in the Land Rover, rushed him to HQ, they, uh, uh, where the 
battalion HQ was set up, the tentage. They sent a helicopter to come and uh, medevac him out. We were sending messages, you know, saying it's a no-duff casualty. Because, you know, in army, they always like to declare casualties as part of the exercise. I was telling them, I'm always casualty. They always pick the heaviest guy to become the casualty to carry out. <laughs> so I made sure that everyone knew that this was not an exercise. This was not a drill. That it's urgent. And Jesus points out, because there is judgment. What we do in the mission is not a drill. It's not merely a thought exercise. There is a reason for it. And that's why he's called us to it. But we see the results of what they had done. In verse 17, they came back and they were with great joy. And you can imagine in the, you know, the, uh, the, the scene where he, they're saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You know, they were high-fiving each other, seeing the tremendous power in which, uh, you know, the, the, the gospel has gone forth. The word of God, when it goes forth, never returns empty. It shall accomplish that which God has purposed for it. And if we are serious about it, you will see those results. And Jesus says, right, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And you know, that's precisely what this mission is about. I, I love um, what the late Reinhard Bonke, the, the evangelist, German evangelist who did um, tremendous work in Africa, he always used to say, we Christians, we are here to plunder hell and populate heaven. And that is the task that we are called to. That's why Jesus pointed out, you know, when he was... <clears throat> talking to the disciples in the context of uh, um, um, Peter, identifying Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. He said this, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Right? It's the gates of hell that are quivering. The gates of hell that are trying to hold us back. The church that the church is on the advance. I know sometimes we feel like we are on the defensive as Christians. Always apologizing for that which we believe. You know, uh, sometimes that word apologetic sounds like, it's not about apologizing, it's about having a reason for what we believe, you know, uh, um, being able to provide uh, an answer to those who ask. But we are not on the defensive. We are actually on the offensive, which is why we face opposition when we do it. Why we often find that there are things working against us, not just in the flesh, but even in the spirit realm. That's why ultimately prayer is so important. But see this. In verse 19, Jesus says to them, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. That we need not cower in fear just because we are going up against forces that are more powerful than us because if God is for us, who can be against us? You know, I plus God are a majority. We may look at this task of 72,000 people who are unsaved in our neighborhood and say, who are we? We are barely 200 people in Church of the Good Shepherd English congregation. Who are we? Us plus God we are the majority. That's precisely why in the Great Commission, right, Jesus 
pointed out, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That when we step out in faith, we are not doing it alone. We are doing it in His strength and in His power. I love the message, right? How he translates Eugene Peterson. Jesus undeterred, went right ahead and gave His charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out there and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you, and I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. <clears throat> That's what we are called to do. That's what we are uh, uh, meant for. But in all of this, you know, Jesus ends in verse 20. He says to them, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, he's telling us to remember the one thing. <laughs> to keep the main thing the main thing. Many of you remember the movie City Slickers. Billy Crystal, Jack Talance. And you know, it's about this guy who's gone off to try and pretend to be a cowboy. He's going through midlife crisis and uh, trying to find himself with his friends. And it's a humor humorous movie. But in the midst of it, they're riding along. And this old cowboy who runs the whole uh, program, you know, is talking to him and said, The secret to life? Billy Crystal says to him, a finger? He says, no, one thing. And I ask him, what's the one thing? That you have to find out for yourself. Well, we know what the one thing is. The one thing is this, that we rejoice that our names are written in heaven. The one thing is that we see that God has saved us and that He has called us and that we are now His. You see, obeying the Great Commandment ultimately leads us then to fulfilling the Great Commission. Obeying the Great Commandment stems from the fact that we love God because He first loved us. Friends, as Christians, we need to remember and recognize that we do not obey so that we can be accepted. We have been accepted, that's why we obey. That, you know, it is uh, um, uh, uh, from who we are that our mission flows out. And we need to recognize this. I want to leave you with a question as we uh, close this time. I know that many Christians struggle with evangelism. You know, the word evangelism scares both non-Christians and Christians. <laughs> Non-Christians because they don't want to get preached to. But Christians are like in trepidation having to go out and share your faith. And I wonder if sometimes our unwillingness to step forward, yes, it is a dangerous task. Yes, it is a contested world. Yes, it's sometimes challenging. But if we are aware of how much God has loved us to save us, to bring us to where we are today, how we have been such 
um, you know, undeserving of the grace of God that we have received. How can we not, in return, out of the gratitude of our hearts, share with others the good things that we've received? Right? We have this saying, good things must share. <laughs> and it's not about Instagramming the latest find in the hawker center. <laughs> The best thing we have is Jesus Christ. Would you say amen? Must share. As we come to the table of our Lord, as we are reminded, as we receive the bread of His body broken for us, as we partake of the cup, which reminds us of His blood shed for us, Remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us. He came down to us. And we, in turn, are called to go out to them. In the days ahead, we'll have opportunities for that. By God's grace, we hope to relaunch our Christmas in Queenstown. But, you know, that is just one strategy. And it's a little bit attractional because we put something on here. And we'll need lots of work and helpers to get that going, and that's all absolutely important. And that's to draw them in. But there may be opportunities then for us to go back out there. And I hope as we begin to sense what God calls us to as a leadership team, as we continue to think and, and, and hear what God is saying, that we will obey. Because ultimately we trust in the one who has called us, who is faithful who has redeemed us with this everlasting love, that in response to that, we will step forward in faith. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word, which is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, a reminder of the great mission you have called us to. That even as the 72 went forward as a precursor to the Great Commission, Lord, you've given them instructions. And Lord, I pray that we would take these instructions to heart. But first and foremost, we come before you and we recognize, Lord, that so often we fall short. Maybe because we are fearful. Maybe because we have um, failed to care or to love as you have called us to love. Lord, I thank you that your arms are open wide to us. And I thank you that today you have reminded us of our call and our responsibility, but also our great position in you as beloved of God. And Lord, as we live in love, help us to bring the light of that love to those who are in desperate need of it. These things we ask and pray in your Son's most precious name. And all God's people say, Amen.